How many of you know somebody who seems to complain all the time? Would you raise your hand? You know somebody who's a big complainer. How many of you are that person? Raise your hand. Yeah, you'll have something to complain about by the time this message is finished. We're, uh, it's interesting. Some people complain about everything. The weather's not right. The music's too loud. The service is so slow. Can you believe it's taking three minutes for them to deliver my hamburger to me? I mean, it's just, this is just not right. You know, my cell phone dropped a call again. Everything is just not right. Uh, some people, it's almost like a spiritual gift. You're so good at it. You just excel at complaining. I, I wanted to kind of get my mind around uh, the subject for this week, so I asked my Facebook friends, uh, what are you tempted to complain about? And within minutes, I mean, there were like uh, dozens and dozens and dozens uh, of comments. And so I went ahead and put together a list of what uh, the most common things that people claim about, claim about based on uh, my friends and then a few that I thought were really interesting. Uh, to me, I, I, I liked the fact that several people complained about opposites. For example, a lot of people complained about their jobs. How many of you sometimes complain about your job? I don't like my job, the people I work with. Then an equal number of people complained about not having a job. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, se several people complain they have too much to do. How many of you say, yeah, I've, I, have some, I complain about that sometimes. Then several people complained about being bored and having nothing to do, which I complain about people that are bored and have nothing to do. It just makes me crazy. Uh, I'll just be real honest. The women, uh, they had a lot to say on this. I'm not making any kind of statement. I'm just, I'm just observing the facts. Uh, <laughs> here's some of the, the ladies' complaints. Several complained because they couldn't have children, where an equal number complained about their own children. thought that was kind of funny. Uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of husbands not living up to uh, the women. And my husband is, you know, uh, a lot of them complain about their husband. Then a lot complained about not having a husband. One in particular said there are no godly men around, which I disagree with. If you are a godly man and you like to meet someone who thinks there are none, you can be friends on Facebook. And who knows what might happen in your life. Uh, a lot of women complained about housework. A lot of women don't like housework. I don't blame them. Um, uh, some complained about their bodies. The men, though, uh, the men complained about traffic, bad drivers, paying for parking, and potholes. Way to go, men. You're, I mean, at least you've got substance to the things that bother you. Uh, uh, those are significant problems in life. A lot of the guys said, uh, we don't have enough money, there's not enough time. We complain that we don't have nice enough things. One guy said he complains about people who complain all the time, which I thought was interesting. Then my personal favorite was the one who said, I complain about people who put the toilet paper roll on the wrong way, which is just wrong. Everybody knows, over, not under. You can't trust anybody who gets toilet paper like this. That is... <laughs> A sim demonic from the pit of hell. May it be established on this day, over, never under. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it has been said. So, uh, a lot of us, we say, yeah, complaining, you know, what's the big deal? Everybody does it. It's not that big of a deal. In fact, if you look in Scripture, you can see example after example of complaining. All the way back to the very first uh, story in Scripture in the Garden of Eden uh, when Eve tempted uh, Adam to sin after she sinned, and God came along, and you can watch as Adam just starts complaining. He says, God, this woman that you put here with me, it's 
our fault. And there, even at the very beginning, you see complaining in the very first story. Uh, in the book of Job, admittedly, Job had a lot to complain about with what he went through, but he did what many of us do. His words are recorded in Job 10.1, where he says, I loathe my very life. I hate my life. He says, therefore, I will give what? Everybody just help me out. He says, I will give free reign to my complaint. In other words, I'm not holding anything back. If I don't like it, baby, I'm just going to shout it out, and I will speak out in the bitterness of my soul. If there's one group, though, that's known for complaining more than any other, it has to be the Israelites in the Old Testament. If you know their story, it's, it's an interesting one. They were, uh, they were slaves in bondage to the Egyptians, and they had one prayer, God, get us out. And God raised up a leader, Moses, and God went and did 10 miraculous plagues and, and changed the heart of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh let them go, and, and they walked out, and then Pharaoh changed his mind and sent the army after them, and they were surrounded, one side by a sea, the other side by these mountains, and here came this army. So what did God do? God parts the Red Sea. They walk through on dry ground, the army follows, God closes the sea, washes them away, they are now free, God feeds them miraculously, God pulls water from a rock, their clothes never wear out, and so what do they do? They complain because they don't like the food, and they say, we wish we would have died back in bondage. Look at this, it's, just, it's hard to imagine. Exodus 16, verse 2 through 4. In the desert, the whole community, everybody there, what they do? The Bible says they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around what? Everybody say this phrase aloud. There we sat around pots of meat. All of our churches say it around. Again, around pots of, one more time, with passion. Everybody. They sat around pots of meat after 21 days of fasting on fruits and vegetables. It just sounds good to hear you say it. Pots of meat, dead cow, glory to God in heaven on high. I'm, sorry, I just, just, I'm having a hamburger for breakfast tomorrow. It's, it's, uh, anyway, they, they sat around pots of meat and they ate all the, we ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. And if you watch and read on in the story, they complain. They say, we're going to die I wish we'd have died back there. They're going to steal our kids. They're going to take our wives. This is going to be the worst thing ever. Here's the deal. If you want to be divisive, if you want to hurt the heart of God, if you want to drive other people away, and if you want to hurt yourselves, do what most people do, and that is keep on complaining. Rationalize it. Excuse it away. Say everybody else does it. Say it's not that big of a deal. Or if you want to have a life that truly honors God in a significant way, do what I am doing, and that is I quit complaining. Let me unpack for you for a few minutes why complaining is so dangerous, why it's such a grievous sin in the eyes of God. Let me show you two uh, principles from the Old Testament uh, under what I call the cost of complaining. Again, we'll look at the Israelites uh, and the story of Moses. The first thing, if you're taking notes, we need to understand that complaining offends the heart of God. 
Complaining offends the heart of God. And the way I picture it, those of you that have children, if you've ever done a lot for one of your children and they just whine about it, you know, you've blessed them in so many ways, and they just come back, I'm so bored, I've got nothing to do, and my life stinks, and you just want to say very lovingly with the love of the Lord, you ungrateful little brat. You know, I imagine that's how God feels when we complain. Uh, Numbers 11, 1 and 2, he says this, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, everybody help me, what what happened? The Bible says his anger was aroused. It ticked him off. The Bible says, then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Their complaining made God so angry, it, it so offended him that he shot fire and burned the outskirts of the camp. So if you ever come home, and the outside of your yard is burned. You just need to know, baby, that you have been complaining way too much, okay? Uh, the, the principle is, though, very clear, that complaining offends the heart of God. One time, even when uh, Moses was whining to God about the people complaining, he said, they're complaining to me. God said, yeah, actually, you're wrong. They, they may be complaining to you, but they're complaining about me. God takes our complaints Personally, it offends the heart of God. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is complaining carries significant consequences. It carries significant consequences. Uh, Very practically, before we even look at spiritually, just with other people. You want to drive people away? Complain all the time. Someone said, complainers have spiritual bad breath. Kind of nasty, but a very good point. What do you do when someone's got bad breath? You're talking to them, you just talk from here. Just take a step back. You're nasty. Okay, everybody happens to everybody. Not, you, know, you just take a step back. And when people complain all the time, it drives you away. It also will hurt you. We'll talk about that in, in a moment. But I want you to see from Scripture that complaining carries significant consequences with God. Here's what God says, Numbers 14, 27 and following. God says, how long will this wicked community do what? How long will they grumble against me? I heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, Moses, and you can almost hear it. I'm I'm not going to put up with it anymore. I've had my fill. Tell them, as surely as I live, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home. The very thing you wanted, you're not going to get. Besides Caleb and Joshua, if you read on, no one else, you're not going in. You don't get what you want because I'm not going to put up with it anymore. You've complained so much, I'm not going to bless you with what I wanted to bless you with, and I'm not going to give you what you wanted most of all. Now, I can't prove directly that God is ever going to do that in your life. But because he did it here, there is a fair chance, maybe better than fair, that there is something that God really wants to bless you with. Or there's something that you really want, and God would love to give it to you. But it could be, according to this scripture, if we read into what he did there, there may be times where God says, you know what, Uh uh-uh, no. Just like I would with one of my kids. You've been whining too much? No, you're not going to the party. No, no, you've got to learn that you can't complain against the one who blesses you because at some point I'm not going to bless you with the thing you want most. Your complaining has driven me crazy. And it can cost you significantly. 
can cost you significantly. Uh, not only spiritually, but uh, again, from a very practical standpoint, uh, some people argue that when you complain, you're actually drawing negative things to you. And, and they make a, a fair point. For example, uh, there was a realtor one time who was showing homes to different families. And one family from out of town was looking at the homes uh, that the realtor was showing, and they didn't like anything. Everything was kind of, yeah, this is, I don't like this. And they said to the realtor, I'm just curious, what are the people like in this town? And the realtor said back to them, well, I'm curious, what were the people like in the town you came from? And they said, oh, the people there, they were judgmental, and you know, they were busybodies and gossips, and they, they just weren't very good people. And the realtor said back, well, unfortunately, you're probably going to find that the people in this town are not good people either. The next day, the realtor had another family in, and they were delightful, and they loved, had all these great things to say. And the family said, I'm just curious, what are the people like in this town? And the realtor said back, I'm curious, what are the people like in the town you came from? And they smiled, oh, they're actually great people. We had so many great friends, and they're, they're really uh, salt of the earth, very good quality people. And the realtor looked back and said, well, I've got good news for you. Chances are you're going to discover the people in this town are a lot like the ones in the town you came from. You see, if you want to complain, you can find things all day long to complain about. If you want to be bitter and critical and negative, you don't have to look far to find things to be bitter and critical and negative about. In fact, I like the, the technical term for this is called a confirmation bias. A confirmation bias. And the, the teaching goes like this. If you have a preconceived idea against something, you will search out or interpret new information based on your preconceived bias. If you are critical and want to find something wrong, you can very easily interpret new information in such a way to prove your preconceived bias. For example, there are many of you at campuses and churches across the country watching a video message right now, and someone invited you, and long before you ever came, you decided you don't like video teaching in church. You've said it's wrong, even though there are some 30,000 plus people who would say they benefit from it, but because you decided not to like it, you've already found 15 things you don't like about this church because you're interpreting information based on your bias. Sitting right next to you would be someone else who didn't have this bias, who came in rather neutral and can see, oh, maybe God has something for me here. Oh, God is speaking to me here. Why? Because they didn't have a bias against something. Uh, a young woman gets hurt by, by a man. And so what does she decide? All men are jerks. Every time she meets a man, because of her bias, she can find relatively easily reasons to pick men apart and goes through life with the conclusion that there are no good men out there anywhere because she already made up her mind and interprets information based on that, the confirmation bias. You want to be critical? You want to be negative? You will be miserable and so will the people around you. It will cost you significantly. Why is it? Why is it? Sociologists are actually studying this and noticing that the more blessed people are, the more critical they become. And in recent generations, they argue that people are becoming uh, more critical and more negative and complaining more. And so there's one sociologist who was talking about why um, they believe that this actually happens. And uh, his argument was that he believes smaller family units 
are actually uh, contributing to a more entitled mindset, which then leads toward people being negative and critical. And it was really interesting. I talked to my family about his, um, his ideas, and he made a, um, an argument around dinner time. Uh, he said, for example, in smaller families, the family conforms to the desires of the children. And, and I was raised in a home with, uh, there's me and my sister, so there are two of us. And I remember my mom would say, what would you like for dinner? And we'd say, I'd like this, and so mom would make that. I told my six children that. I said that some people actually say to their kids, what would you want for dinner? And Mandy, uh, my 15-year-old dad said, uh, she said, dad, why would anyone do something so stupid ever, okay? Because in our house, you would never ask six kids, what do you want? You just, mom decides, and it's served, and if you don't like it, another kid says, thank God, there's more for me because there's not always enough. And, and just to give you a picture into our family, uh, what we do is when dinner's ready, one of the kid rings a bell. We have a real bell and a ding-a-ling-a-ling, and kids come running from all over the house as fast as they can. The reason is because with eight people, sometimes there's enough food, sometimes there's not. And if there's not and you're not there, then you're on your own. It's first come, first serve. And, and admittedly, not because we're better parents, but just because of the nature our children conform to the needs of the family rather than the family conforming to the needs of the children. When the family continues to conform to the needs of the children, what happens? We children grow up to be grown-ups, and we think we're the center of the plot. We think that we get what we want. And anytime we don't get what we want, since we're the center of the plot, that therefore we have the right, the God-given right, to complain about anything that is not the way we want it to be or we think it should be. And if it's not, then ultimately we may even cast our complaints against God. God, why isn't my life the way I think it should be? Because at its root, complaining is a very intense spiritual problem. We think we're God, and when anything's not the way we want it, we have the God-given right to complain. The bottom line is, God is the center of the story. He is the main character, not us. He does not exist to serve us. God isn't on the throne going, oh, they're upset again. Let me try to make them happy. No, 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 no. We exist to serve him. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. We exist to glorify him. He is the main character. We are not. When you complain, it's because you think you're the main character at its root, a profoundly deep and serious spiritual problem that must be dealt with. What do we do? What do we do in a culture that where complaining is not only normal, but it's expected? That, that entire clusters of friendships are built around common dislikes. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, we gather around those that uh, we all complain about the same things. And our bond uh, would be our complaints. What do we do? How do we go about restraining our complaining? Let me give you just a few verses and we'll break them down. Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 14 through 18. We're going to look at the what, the why, and the how of restraining our complaining. And let's look at the what. What is the what according to Scripture? The what is very direct, very complete. Paul said the what as plainly as he could. He said, do not complain. Here's the what. Philippians 2.14. Everybody, let's just say this verse uh, aloud. Everybody say, do 
everything without complaining or arguing. One more time, everybody, all of network churches, all of our, our churches together do everything without complaining or arguing. I can already tell some of you are writing this down. I'm quoting this to my children every day for the rest of my life. Not just to your children, but I'm telling you what, you apply that in your relationships. If you're married and you're, you're struggling in your marriage, I promise you there's a lot of complaining and there's a lot of arguing. Why? Because you are the center of the relationship in your mind. And if anything doesn't live up to your expectations, you have a God-given right to complain about it. In fact, when I used to do a lot of marriage counseling, I'd, I'd, they'd come in with all the complaints. I'll complain, complain, complain. Okay. I said, okay, there's the seven things that you don't like. Now, what do you like? What do you, what do you value about your spouse? And I'd get them to go through things. Keep going. Keep telling me. And before long, we'd have a list this big about the things that they're thankful for and a list this small about the things they gripe about. But because the focus is on the small things, they forget about the big things. The small things become the big things. And all of a sudden, they're taking something that shouldn't be much of an issue and getting a divorce because he leaves his socks on the ground and she zeroes in on that every single day. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Anytime you're about to complain in the next week, just do this. Just look at me. Just do this. I can't even say it. Bite your tongue. Just bite. Just anytime you're about to complain, just stop and watch how much less you talk. Okay? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't complain, ride your kids all the time. Look for things that build them up. Uh, when you're pulling out of the parking lot, oh, if, if your campus is like mine, the parking's so bad here, oh, it takes so long. Oh, no, 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 no. Thank God that we're at a church where we're growing and reaching people. Praise God that the parking lot's full. I'm sick of my job, stupid people at my Thank God I have a job, that I've been blessed with a job, and I'm here to make a difference in this place. Let what comes out of your mouth be helpful for building others up rather than tearing down. Complaining never made anything better. That's the what. Let's talk about the why. Why do we not complain? The what is don't complain. Why do we not complain? The answer is so you can become more like Christ. That's the answer. It's a very important answer for those of you that are Christians. Why? So we can become more like Christ. But let's start over and read the verse again. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. This to me is amazing. In fact, I memorized this whole book, Philippians, uh, many years ago, and I never noticed the tie-in. Do everything without complaining. Why? So that. And then he goes on to say, you may become blameless and pure. What's that like? Like Christ. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved gener generation. He could have said, do not lie, cuss, cheat, steal, um, look at women lustfully so that you may become pure. But what did he say? Do not complain. Don't complain. It's, it's such a heart issue because at its root, we're trying to be the center of the plot. 
If you can remove yourself from the center of the plot and put God in his rightful place, then you'll stop complaining and you can become pure. You can become children of God without fault in this very corrupt generation. Now, what we've talked about up to this point, most of it's external, okay? It's, it's what's on the outside. And all of us can start training our mouths to be better. We're about to, oh, I don't like, we stop, and then we say, we, okay, mm, I'm gonna say something good even though I don't feel it. But oh, that's what Pastor Craig said to do, so bless God I'm gonna do that stupid assignment, okay? Yeah, it, and that's all external. But Jesus said very clearly, he, he said in Luke 6:45, from out of the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks. If we just fix the external, we're really missing the, the heart of the matter, which is the internal. If our heart is not right, then we're still really losing the battle in a significant way. So what do we do? The way I like to, to describe it is I want to try to align my heart with the heart of God. And here's the how. What? Do not complain. Why? So you can be like Christ. How? You choose to rejoice no matter what. You align your heart with him, and you choose to rejoice no matter what. And this is what, this is what Paul did, and this to me is amazing when you think about the context. Paul was writing the book of Philippians uh, from a prison. He was in a house arrest. And in his mind, he's actually thinking, this is probably the end of my game. I'm, this, I'm probably nearing the end of my life. And here's what he says, verse 17. He says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. What, what do you think that means? Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering. What do you think he's saying? Even if I die for this. That's what he's saying. Even if I, even if I give my life for the cause of Christ. Okay? Most people be complaining, I don't like being in prison, I didn't do anything wrong, I need to be out there making a difference, this isn't fair, I've been falsely accused. No, he says, even if I die, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be what? You too should be glad and rejoice with me. How in the world can he say that? Let me tell you how he can say that. Because he is the guy who said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives inside of me. How could he say that? Because he was no longer the center of the story. He, he, his heart was aligned to the heart of Christ. He had been transformed, forgiven. I can almost hear Paul say, if you'd only known where I came from, if you only know what I've been forgiven by, if you only know what Christ has done, how could I ever do anything but rejoice? I trust him as the supreme God of the universe who has not just my best interest, but his glory in mind. And if my discomfort somehow brings him glory, why in the world would I complain about anything? Because he is the center of the story and I am his willing and rejoicing servant. You choose to rejoice. In my life, I'll give you just a real simple example. Um, in years past, as some of you may say, I can't, you know, I'm surprised. One of my biggest complaints was the grueling uh, schedule, week after week, month after month, year after year, of preparing 
biblical messages. Uh, I enjoy the preaching part. It's the preparing that is, that is just is very grueling. And from my perspective, there are several reasons. One is just the awareness that I'm teaching the Word of God and prayerfully doing so in a way that would honor God. That's pressure of the teacher who is judged more strictly than others, and I feel that every day of my life. Secondly, just the human side of it, whether right or wrong, the thought of if I do a good job, the church does well. If I, if I do a cruddy job, people don't come back. And so whether that's true or not true, the pressure I feel. Then just the idea of trying to bring something that will keep your attention, engage you spiritually, talk to people in a way that aren't Christians, in a way that might engage them. It's a very real pressure. Week after week, month after Then a lot of people try to compare pastors of large churches to CEOs. I've never, I've never owned that and, and don't because there are so many things that are dissimilar. But what is similar is I do oversee a, um, an organization that's got lots of staff members, lots of moving parts, budget. It, it takes quite a bit of effort to run. What a CEO doesn't do is run something and write a message every single week without a committee, without a team of writers, all by yourself with Bible and commentaries and preach it over and over and over again. I feel that pressure. So I was complaining to God, oh, another week. Oh, I live for weekends off. Oh, another week. And finally, Amy said to me about five years ago, she said, how much good is your complaining done? I'm like, thank you, Holy Spirit, wrapped up in a good-looking woman. I hate when she's right. <laughs> You're like, oh. And she's right. And done a thing. And done a thing. And so she started saying, what if, what if you started thanking God that, for what he does? And so what I did is I took my heart out of the main plot and tried to align it with Christ. And at first it was just words, but after a while, my heart totally changed. And now what, what I feel is I praise God that he trusts me to rightly deliver his word. I praise God in heaven that he's never let me down, that week after week, he gives me something worthwhile to say. Uh, I thank God that I am called and chosen by him to declare his living word. And when I do, lives are transformed. And what it's done is it's taken me out of the center, it's put him in the center, and it's totally changed all different aspects of my life. I am, I am full of joy because I took that which I wanted to complain about and I made it into something worth rejoicing about. There may be all sorts of things in your life where you think, I, I just want to complain. It may be petty things. It may be big things. When you take yourself out of the center of the plot and put the only one who is worthy to be there, God, and you align your heart with Christ, you will suddenly realize complaining costs a lot. It costs a lot. It offends the heart of God. It costs you significantly. It will drive other people away but you can overcome it. You can stop complaining. You will become more like Christ, and your heart will be aligned with him, rejoicing in all things because he truly is that good. He truly is that good. Father, I pray today that your spirit, by your word, would do a work in our hearts and that we would be different because we've been with you. At all of our different churches, as you're praying now, let's just get cut right to the chase. Those of you that would say, I recognize that I'm under conviction right now that I really do, I'm, I, I am a complainer, and I want to align my heart with God and be changed. If that's you, would you lift up your hands right now? Lift them up high. Just lift them up. Lift them up. Father, I, I thank you that you are, you're working in the hearts of some people. 
And I pray today, God, that, that your spirit would take your word deep into our hearts. And God, that we, we would see that this is a significant sin, that it's a, it's, a, it's a big spiritual issue. And God, we ask for forgiveness. God, we're sorry that we want to be the main character and, and we feel like we have the right to complain all the time. I pray, God, that you would align our hearts. Help us, God, to align our heart with yours. God, that instead of finding all sorts of things to, um, to pick apart, that we would see all the things that you have done for us, that we would be overwhelmed, God, with your goodness, with your grace, with your love, and with the salvation that you give us that we do not deserve and could never possibly earn. God, I pray that families would be different because of this message that you are speaking to your people. God, I pray that, that relationships would be different. I pray that companies would, God, I pray that our church would be different. I pray that we would be different because we spent this time, God, with you. As you keep praying today at all of our locations, I want you to think about this. If you are an incessant complainer, this could be an outward evidence of a very real inward spiritual problem. And at its root, it could be that you really don't know the Son of God. Many of you would just say up front, absolutely I don't. I, I, I really don't. I, I don't. I'm not walking with God. I don't, I don't know him. And, and right now you're very aware that this, this, is a, this is something wrong that needs to change. So let me tell you, you can work and try to change it on your own, but you're not going to get very far because you need the same spirit that raised Christ from the grave to overcome every sin that we commit against the heart of God. You may right now, you may be aware, I really am. I'm trying to be the center of the story, and I recognize I'm not. What do we do? Well, the biggest thing we do is we repent before a holy God. We, we simply tell him, I, I have sinned, and I'm outside your will, and I need your forgiveness. Why would he forgive us? Our God is so good that he sent his son Jesus, who was without sin, who died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead. Now, so whoever calls on his name, and that includes you, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter how bad your past or your present is, when you call on his name, he will hear you, he will forgive you, he will move into your life, and you will become a new person. And let me just say, there are many of you, that's why you're here today. You can sense it. It's time for a life change in the presence of God. And what are you going to do? You're going to call on him and say, I, I don't want to be the center of the story. I want you to be the center. I want to give my life to you today. Save me from my sins. I hand my life over to you. I want it to count for you. Jesus, save me, make me new. Today, it is my choice. I quit complaining, and I give my life to you. All of our churches, those of you who say, that's my prayer, I surrender, I give you my life right now. Lift your hands high now, just right now. Lift them up and leave them up. And I want to meet you in the eye, right up here, both of you. Praise God for you and serve right over here. Welcome into God's family. Others of you who would say, me too, right back over here and way back here toward the back. Lift your hands high right now and say, yes, take my life right back over here. And in this section, God bless you guys. Others of you, take my life right back over here. Yes. Others, call on him. Take my life. Save me. I surrender it to you. Be the Lord of my life. Lift your hands and say, yes, that's my cry. That's my prayer today. All of our churches together, would you all pray aloud? Just unite your voices and pray. Pray, Heavenly Father. Save me from my sins. Make me new. I believe Jesus died for me and he rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you for new life. 
I give you mine. It is not my own. I give it to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Would all of you take a moment and worship God, thank him for who he is, give him praise, welcome those today that are born into his family.